The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Continuing um, the exploration of the third foundation of mindfulness. Last week talked a little bit about this first section of the third foundation of mindfulness, teaching in the Buddha's instructions on how to be mindful or what to be mindful of, what we can recognize, different ways that we can explore this teaching about mindfulness. The third foundation really points to how the mind is, what's happening in the mind. And we talked a little bit about it being uh, how the mind is in relationship to what's happening. So something's happening in experience and we have perhaps a desire for that thing or wanting something to continue an aversion, wanting to get rid of something, or perhaps a confusion or a disconnection. So greed, aversion, and delusion, basically the three fundamental roots of suffering. The Buddha calls them the the fundamental roots of suffering in our experience. And so this third foundation really points to recognizing these, the presence or absence of these three This is such a crucial part of our practice, the ability to notice when greed, aversion, and delusion are operating in our minds. And to recognize too, just to kind of begin here, the power of mindfulness. Mindfulness joined with wisdom, the that curiosity about what is this human experience of desire? What is this human experience of aversion? When we are exploring experience from that perspective, these roots of suffering simply become experiences that are available to serve us to wake up. There's a big difference between being caught by or led by greed, aversion, and delusion and being aware that they're happening in the present moment. It is the difference between suffering and freedom. So this is what the Buddha is pointing to here, the importance to be aware of these things to be aware in this way of curiosity of what is this experience. And so uh, we talked a little bit more last week about being aware of greed and aversion. And this week I deferred since it seems like there's a lot enough to say. Um, This week I deferred, uh, we deferred to speak about delusion. And delusion, Much harder to recognize, especially at the beginning, than greed or aversion. Greed and aversion are kind of more obvious. We know the feeling of being pulled to want something. 
feeling of, I, you know, I'm not going to be okay unless I have that thing. The feeling of aversion, of not liking, of wanting to get rid of something, of hating something, of resisting, of irritation, all of those kind of emotional uh, experiences that have that avoiding, resisting, wanting to separate from experience, fear included in this. Those are more obvious for us. We recognize this delusion by its very nature is harder to see. And yet it is the more fundamental of these three roots that tend to lead us to suffering. Because within, well, we could say that the suffering of greed wouldn't exist without delusion. The greed wouldn't exist without delusion. Because embedded in the, the, the greed itself, the greed, the feeling of greed is that pull towards something. But the delusion embedded in that is that I'm not okay unless I get that thing. So the, the greed is that kind of pull of that stick to something. And the reason, the motivation, the kind of uh, view behind that wanting to stick is delusion. That I need that thing to be happy. Similarly with aversion, I need to get rid of that thing in order to be happy. If you look at greed and aversion, if you begin to explore them, you'll see that 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 delusion is right in the middle of it. And it's kind of amazing how blinded we are or kind of confused or um, in the uh, wrapped into the view even a simple desire like wanting to have a particular kind of food or something, you know, there's a, there's a belief in there that that's going to do it for me. In, in the moment of being caught in that view of greed, it thinks this is permanent happiness awaiting us. It's kind of stunning that we think, you know, that 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 that, that greed, greed is so uh, narrow-minded, you know, that it actually believes that this is going to do it for me. And then it gets, you know, we we find out that it's not permanent, and we're just. But but the 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 last time we felt pretty good was when we got something. So we kind of get stuck on that on that chain. In that chain of cycle, needing to have something. Maybe this time, greed thinks, maybe this time, this will be the one that makes me happy forever. So that's delusion, right in the middle of greed and aversion. Delusion has some subtle kinds of manifestations some more obvious and some more subtle. And so today I just want to kind of go through at a high level and we'll see how much interest there is um, in diving into this more deeply in the next few weeks. Um, I looked back, somebody reminded me last week uh, that I had done a series on delusion. And I looked back and that was almost four years ago that I did that. I did a nine week series on delusion really unpacking it. So 
I can go, you know, I can go in and like pull it apart and dive. So that's the way my mind works. You know, it kind of does that kind of thing. So we can go into this as much or as little as we want to almost. So tonight, today, I'm just going to kind of overview some different flavors of delusion. And we'll see, um, uh, you know, where's their interest? Uh, maybe there's a little bit more interest in a particular area that we could explore a little bit more next week. So I explore, I like to explore delusion from kind of three different levels, different aspects that uh, the first one maybe being the most obvious form of delusion, the one that we see a lot, uh, can recognize a lot. And that is just a simple kind of disconnection from the present moment. When, when, the mind, when the mind kind of gets disconnected, caught up in its world of thoughts, and enchanted by some idea, that, that it can be a form of delusion. There's different flavors of that, you know, so there's, there's um, that kind of disconnection from experience might have a flavor of... Um, just kind of being checked out, spaced out, um, sleepy, um, dull, bored, those kinds of feelings, those kinds of, of experiences. Restlessness too, a sense of a, you know, kind of just like scatteredness that can be a flavor of delusion. Those can also, many of those boredom, uh, scatteredness, those can also be connected at a level with greed or aversion. So boredom can be a subtle aversion, just a subtle like wish something else were happening. Again, you know, based in a delusion that something else needs to be happening in order to be happy. That restlessness can be based in a kind of a, a desire for something, just anything to like, make me have a hit of some kind of pleasure and kind of based in greed. But with the delusion that uh, I need something to have a hit of pleasure. This, um, this reminds me of the next piece in the Satipatthana Sutta in the third foundation um, so the, the first part is this presence, absence of greed, aversion, and delusion. And the next one is noticing contraction and distraction. So just as a reminder, uh, some of you haven't been here for this series. So just I'll just read this section again. What, the, what this section of the Satipatthana Sutta says. One understands a mind affected by greed as a mind affected by greed, and a mind unaffected by greed as a mind unaffected by greed. Understands a mind affected by hate as a mind affected by hate, unaffected by hate as unaffected by hate. A mind affected by delusion as a mind affected by delusion, and a mind unaffected by delusion as a mind unaffected by delusion. One understands contracted mind as contracted mind, and distracted mind as distracted mind. So this last piece, contracted and distracted, those are a kind of just the, they'll be found, you know, the, the contracted, distracted experience will probably be found in 
greed, aversion, and delusion. It's kind of the, the fun, one of the fundamental signs, we could say, that a form of delusion is present. We may notice a kind of a pulled in and not really know, is it greed, is it aversion? But it's, 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 a kind of, it's almost like a highlight. There's some kind of delusion present. Distracted similarly. And the mind is kind of jumping around and not able to stabilize or land. You know, it's like that can be distracted mind and delusion is present. So those two, contracted and distracted, can be uh, kind of a good um, cue for us that some kind of delusion is present. Especially this form, this kind of basic form of disconnection. Sense of uncertainty can be in this field. Confusion uh, can be flavors of this kind of delusion. One way, um, I'll try to just bring in a little way to begin to notice each of these flavors. So one way, just mentioning the kind of the flavor of is there the sense of contraction or distraction in the mind? That's a, that's a sign that delusion is present. But another way that we can begin to get familiar with this mind that is uh, disconnected is in the moment when mindfulness returns. I highlighted that a little bit in the guided meditation, just noticing that moment. Mindfulness returns. That we can recognize this. Is, I said, I think I said in the guided meditation, it's like the light comes on. There's a difference. We, we know mindfulness is here. And partly we know mindfulness is here because it's in contrast to what it was like a few moments before. So there is, in that moment of mindfulness returning, there's the knowing what's here now, but there's also a lingering memory of what it was like a few moments before. This is, if you're not like in that moment that mindfulness returns, kind of immediately diving into judging yourself. But this is, you know, oh, here's mindfulness, it's back. And there, there can be a kind of a, a sense, perhaps, of clarity, of... Um, the, scent, the, the recognition of connection with what's here that is different from what it was a few moments before. So we get a sense, there's a lingering flavor of what it was like to be disconnected. And that's a little bit of a, the flavor of what the deluded mind is like. like. In that moment that mindfulness returns, that quality that is no longer here, but there's a lingering memory of that experience, kind of sense of the mind kind of disconnected, floating, drifting, uh, caught, contracted, whatever flavor it was. And so with that kind of recognition, we might begin to recognize, instead of in the waking up time, we might begin to recognize the mind heading into it. So 
the moment when mindfulness kind of starts to weaken or gets hooked into that kind of drifty, floaty, spacey place or that contracted place. You might begin to be able to see, oh, this is the mind starting to get hooked, starting to be hooked by delusion. So that disconnection, that kind of checked out is one flavor of delusion. The next flavor of delusion is um, it's connected to, we can be aware, so not disconnected from experience, actually present, but aware with an unseen agenda, view, belief in the mind that is influencing, shaping how we're receiving information, how we're receiving experience. And we are unaware that we are receiving experience in a skewed or uh, in a uh, perspective that is limited based on our view, agenda, belief. These kinds of, and this actually, this part is, there's, there's two levels to this. This is the second and the third levels. The first level, I would say, these kinds of unseen views operate at a level that are very personal based on our own life that we've lived, the, the way that we've been conditioned, how our families are, the kind of culture we grew up in personal experiences, things that we've experienced, those kinds of experiences tend to shape particular perspectives. They shape um, uh, views and ideas about who people are, what they're capable of, what I'm capable of. They shape political beliefs. They shape views about race, gender, sexual orientation. There's a lot of suffering that happens because we hold different views and we kind of reify or solidify around these views and believe this is what's right, this is what's true, this is the only perspective that's valid. So this is where the delusion creeps in. The fact that we have views, the fact that we have been shaped by our experience, the fact that we believe certain things is, it's kind of, it's part of how our minds work. And it's useful in many ways to be shaped by our experience because what we are shaped by tends to be, um, you know, the kinds of things that we experience and may experience in the future. And so it's useful to know, here's how to respond to take care of myself in this particular situation. So these, these are useful strategies, but the difficulty with mind and where the delusion slips into this or is embedded in this is that we believe that this is the only way or this is the only appropriate way to deal with these situations. So we don't 
We don't see that it's a perspective that has been shaped, a view, a belief. Even an agenda can prevent us from seeing things. An agenda to uh, look at particular things in our environment. This is, and this is a, a in our modern day psychology, we call this selective attention. When we have an agenda to kind of pull out or or orient to something in particular. And it's useful. It helps us to accomplish things, to have this capacity to narrow our attention in this way and focus on something and not take in other experience that's not relative to the agenda at hand. So it's useful. But we tend to, with that, that selective attention can tend to um, uh, we, we can tend to uh, take in experience that conforms to a particular view, agenda, idea, and then not see, actually not, it's not that we see it and we're, we're setting it aside. We, we will, sometimes we will not even see experience that does not correspond with the perspective, the view, the agenda. And so it, it, this is where the delusion happens, that we can believe that we are kind of just receiving everything, you know, that, that we, are, we are taking in the world as it is. The famous quote by Anais Nin, we don't see the world as it is, we see the world as we are. We miss a whole bunch of stuff because we have these views, perspective, ideas based on our conditioning, based on our upbringing. So in terms of exploring this, it's most important to recognize one of the, the, the things that we can recognize is that we are creatures of views. We are beings that are shaped by our views and then to recognize, well, what are the views that are operating here? And how have those views been shaped? Especially when we butt up against people who have different views than we are. It'd be really useful to take stock of, well, okay, these are my views. How have these been shaped? And then perhaps be curious about the other person's views and how those have been shaped. So just even simply recognizing a view or belief is operating is a very different, again, it's sim similar to what I said earlier around noticing that greed is, is happening is very different than being led by greed. When we are aware that a belief is a belief, as opposed to what we tend to think of it as simply, this is the truth. When we recognize that it is a belief, that it is a perspective, that it has been shaped, there's a uh, possibility 
of being able to see things that may not may not be you know uh, restricted by that view as much. So this question sometimes I, I, I ask myself when I'm suffering. So when you're suffering, this is another another uh, good little tool here. You know, so when you're suffering, some kind of view is operating. So what is what is the belief? What is the view? This is a this is a useful exploration. And when we come up against, you know, sometimes it doesn't feel like a belief is particularly suffering until we come up against someone or something that kind of demonstrates that that view, that view is challenged. That viewer, when the viewer belief is challenged, that's when we notice that, that suffering that's associated with that viewer belief. Often we just go through our lives without noticing there's kind of the inherent kind of possibility of suffering connected to a view. We're just operating as if it's true. But when it, we kind of run up against a, a little challenge there, that's when that, that suffering around that view will begin to expose itself. And that's a good time to check what, what is the belief? How, how, how might I um, recognize, just recognize that it is a belief? We don't have to try to disbelieve our beliefs. But it's really useful to know that they are beliefs. This is the first kind of way in, in recognizing this form of delusion. There's a lot I could say about this section, about this, this, this part. Um, you know, I've been talking a little bit, I'll say one, one last piece and then shift on to the, the last section. Um, talking about like, how we're conditioned and shaped. And that kind of leads to the idea of uh, you know, the, the, that, those forms of views and perspectives being shaped over a long stretch of time. But these kinds of views can form really quickly. It's kind of, there's been some studies done about how quickly views can be formed. It's like the first information you receive about a subject, that information has a very powerful shaping capacity in your mind. There was a study done where it was a simple kind of topic around how uh, people were given different, different things to read about how firefighters work and whether they take risks or don't take risks, and whether it's good or bad to take risks, you know, whether it was uh, helpful or not for the firefighters to take risks. So this kind of, of uh, information was offered. And in one side, it was helpful to take risks, and in the other side, not helpful to take risks. This, this was just information that they were given. And um, uh, each one read something, about it. And then they were told that what they had just read was completely made up and no bearing in reality. So they were told this immediately after having read this. But then later they were asked what what they believed around risk and firefighting. And it it had been shaped by that very first 
exposure to that information. So that's, that's humbling to see how quickly we can be influenced by news. You know, this is, this to me is, is very relevant right now. This, you know, how, how we are shaped by what we read, by what we hear, and by what is repeated. So it is, it, it, it is um, humbling to see just how quickly that happens. And it seems to be part of the way our minds work. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's useful in many, in many uh, strategies, in many ways to survive, but it also prevents us from really taking in or meeting what is actually here. Then the third section, the third piece, or the kind of the most subtle form of delusion I would call these are these are views or beliefs that we share as human beings. They they run across cultures. They run across conditioning. It's like that. It's it's like the 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 fact that we are human. These kinds of beliefs tend to be in our human system, and that is that we tend to take what is impermanent to be permanent. We tend to take what is unreliable to be reliable. And we tend to take what is not self to be self. Now, this is a big section to, to unpack. And, um, I'll just say a little bit here around this. So this, this kind of delusion it seems kind of connected with our human body and mind in a way that we take what is impermanent to be permanent is um, just the, the, the way our, our system works that we attribute solidity to things. And there's a kind of um, certain with certain kinds of um, experiences, the change is so gradual that our um, system doesn't perceive the change moment to moment. You know, this is uh, and 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 as the change happens, you know. So this is some of how um, um, you know the change in our um, our climate, for instance. You know, the the way the 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 shift, the the, the drift, and um, I, I heard, I read something about uh, someone who lived pretty far north in the United States, up in the the mountainous areas, up in like Montana or something. And um, there's been a gradual shift of the snowpack, and it 
it used to be that, you know, the snow was on the mountains year round. And then very gradually it's changed so that during some months of the year in the summer, there's no snow on the mountain, but it happens so gradually. It just, it, it becomes normal. You know, so we don't, we don't see the kind of gradual change that happens over a, a longer time scale sometimes. There's also a psychological term for that. I can't remember at the moment what that one is. Something like creeping normalcy or something like that. Um, but then there's also connected with our, um, our uh, perceptual experience that our perceptual experience stabilizes experience. Like when I look around this room, you know, every moment that my eyes shift, and sometimes I can see this, every moment that my eyes shift, that there's a kind of experience of this jumping quality in the visual field. And you can see that if a camera does that, you know, if, if you're looking at a movie where a camera is doing that jumpiness, it's kind of disorienting. Um, but when our eyes do it in an environment like this, it stabilizes the view. And that's, again, that's a normal kind of thing. But each moment of experience is this very, you know, kind of like, like slides or something. And then our mind puts together the, uh, the solidity of that or the stability of that. So there's different ways that our mind is designed to create the stability. And it's useful. It's really useful for our minds to create the stability. But again, it's, um, it's a, the difference between the usefulness of it versus the interpretation of it as true. And another uh, part of this is emotional. And maybe also helpful in some way in our evolution that the experience of stability feels safe. feels like things are okay. And we do not like the experience of instability. And this is where it moves into the second, uh, the second um, confusion there, that we tend to take what is unreliable to be reliable. This is directly related to the impermanent nature of the experience. We like the, the sense of stability because it feels like it's safe, like it's, it's reliable, that I can, I can be okay there. And if we have to recognize that what I'm taking to be stable is not stable, that's kind of threatening in our, in our usual way of being with experience. It takes a lot of 
wisdom and equanimity to have a heart that can hold this impermanent, unreliable world and not just descend into despair, descend into suffering. It's not necessary. We can, the heart can actually hold this impermanent, unreliable experience. As this is truth, so much of the suffering actually around the unreliability comes because we think it should be reliable. That we believe that either the world is betraying us or somebody else has, has done us wrong or that we failed because things seem unreliable. And it's just the nature of experience. It's the nature of things. There's a kind of way that when we really align with these truths, it's impermanent, it's unreliable. And that is not my fault that it's impermanent and unreliable. In fact, it's nature. The heart can relax in a way with that truth and find different ways to navigate from compassion, from wisdom, rather than navigating the world from, I have to find a way to stabilize things. I have to cling on to things. The greed, the aversion is so much the way that we've navigated Greed and aversion are not okay with things as they are. Greed and aversion are not okay with impermanent, unreliable. But when greed and aversion begin to weaken, we can begin to recognize impermanent, unreliable is nature. And wisdom and compassion can navigate that space, navigate our experience, navigate the world. And the third, we tend to take what is not self to be self. It is I, me, mine. This is a fundamental confusion. And again, it's a useful, it's a useful, uh, you know, strategy in a way to recognize that this being is different from that being. You know that there's there's a there's some kind of coherence here and like the thoughts that appear in my mind are not your thoughts they're connected to this process but what we tend to mistake is that this being this human being this is a process rather than a thing and so this this comes back too to that attributing some kind of permanence attributing some kind of stability to this human process, reifying it as a thing, reifying it as something that's here, that's stable, that's progressing through time, as opposed to a process of conditions unfolding. It's not that there's not some kind of coherence to this process, but it's not what we take it to be. It's not that, it's not got that kind of solid, stable thingness to it. 
And so exploring this, you know, what, what feels stable? What feels solid? What feels permanent? And then is it? What feels reliable? Or that sense of unreliability, you know, when we're looking for reliability, that kind of uh, disturbance around that. Might we be curious about that need or the wish for that reliability? And what do we take to be self? That question, is it? What feels like I, me, mine? And noticing how it changes. What I take to be I right now is very different than what I take to be I two hours from now. So beginning to recognize the kind of process around the sense of self. So I'm curious how, what you think, what what your reflections are on what I've shared here. And if there's any particular uh, interest in diving into this more <laughs> or is this enough <laughs> have you had enough of this peggy did you want to say something uh, it seems especially pertinent to me to when you said the heart can learn to hold all of this impermanence that seems very important and challenging. It is challenging. Yeah, it is challenging. It, and partly it, um, it's through the process of starting to be curious about it that we learn that we can hold it. Being curious about the impermanence yeah, or the, being, our reactions? Both. Both to about our reaction to it. So the reaction to it is kind of an overlay. So, you know, so that's a great place to start. It's like, well, things are impermanent. And wow, I don't like this. Okay. We're kind of at the place of noticing the aversion to things changing or waiting for something to change because we don't like it. and We want it to go to something pleasant. So we might have the, the happiness when something pleasant ends. So, you know, it's a when something unpleasant ends, we might experience a kind of a relief. And so, you know, noticing that relationship and um, we might begin to see that the relationship is extra, that we might be able to be with the changing experience without that relationship. And so we, we begin to learn in a way that these relationships are extra, you know, that the, that the, the disturbance or the frustration or the, the challenge around impermanent, unreliable in particular, um, that, that it is, uh, it's just a belief in the mind. That's just another belief that it's a problem. And it's challenging because it's deeply, deeply conditioned. So it, it takes a lot of patience and a lot of compassion to, uh, to hold that. So I think that's, that's, a, that's a good support, you know, the, the compassion that it's hard. And, and not like, it's not like we just like 
hear about this and then we can flip a switch and say, oh, I'm not going to be worried about impermanence anymore. <laughs> so it, it is, uh, these are challenging teachings. But I think that speaking to them helps us to recognize ways in which maybe there's a different perspective. So speaking about how delusion operates can help us to recognize when it is operating. And then, oh, another piece, I meant, I meant to just bring this in. I'll say this and then we have to stop. Um, um, there are moments, and kind of speaking to what you said, Peggy, around it's hard to be okay with impermanence. But there may be a moment when those, uh, uh, those um, beliefs or views that it's, that, that it's not okay for things to be impermanent and unreliable, that they fall away and it's just, oh, this is what it's like to not be disturbed by this. And the, the, the heart kind of relaxes and frees itself from that belief. And when that happens, it can sometimes seem so simple. Like, how could I not have seen this? That it's not a problem. How could I not have seen this? And that is the, that is the absence of delusion. You know, so in that moment, that seeing that. And it seems the absence of delusion has this kind of quality of seeming so simple and so obvious. It's like, how could I not have seen this? And then like three seconds later, that view or that delusion comes back and it is not obvious anymore. You know, so, so, but that, that having seen the delusion fall away and then recognizing, wow, I'm caught in this belief again that it's a problem. But having seen that there was like even a few seconds where it wasn't, now we can really start to know this is delusion operating. That the mind thinks impermanence and unreliability are a problem is a delusion because we've seen the absence of that view. And so that's partly, that, that's a, a, a way that we begin to be able to see delusion operating in the moment, in, in, um, in actual experience. When we've had the taste of it fall away, then we can see it. This is the mind that's, that's caught by this belief that it's a problem. And that's what's happening. We don't have to like try to flip it to, 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 to not having that belief anymore. But again, recognizing, oh, this is a belief that's happening in the mind right now. And the mind is really on board with this belief right now. It believes it's a problem. That's what's happening. That alignment with that's what's happening, that can create a little bit more space around the, the challenge of struggle of impermanent and unreliable.